Welcome to Insights for Manufacturing, the podcast that supports the UK manufacturing sector. Hosted by Jeff Beecham, the manufacturer's recruiter. Hello and welcome to Insights for Manufacturing. Today we're focusing on employment law and I'm delighted to welcome my special guest today, Richard Hyron, who is an employment law and HR solicitor. Welcome to the show, Richard. How are you today? I'm really well, thank you, Jeff, and thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. Um, now, clearly, you know, there, there's a, you know, a good connection between uh, your world in terms of employment law and, and, and mine in terms of recruitment. It, it's not a subject matter that I go into too much detail on. That's why we have experts like you around. But I, I thought the, the discussion that we're going to have today is going to be relevant to, you know, both business owners, business leaders and individuals. So, uh keen to uh to find out about the world of, of employment law and and your part in it so kicking off then what, what are the current you know biggest risks to to businesses you know around employment law richard sure i think the first one first and foremost is getting people in in the first place so we've seen all of these things over the tail end of 2022 into this year where you have strikes, you have people very disillusioned with the workplace. And it's kind of like a tug of war at the moment where the employees and the trade unions are saying that it's an employee's market and business are saying that it is very much, you know, they're in control. But I don't think either one of them at the moment is really winning. I think it's kind of, we're, we're on a balance at the moment of who is going to blink first. So something that is probably going to be of great interest to any kind of employer, but well, manufacturing is not going to be any different. It's about making your workplace very attractive for people to come in and, well, hopefully have an entire career with you. So that doesn't necessarily mean massive salaries. It can mean things like who you work with in the community, what you give back, and also benefits that you can give to your staff, gym memberships, days off for their birthday. I mean, we have a younger workforce coming in. We always have a younger workforce coming in, but they seem to want different things every time. Yeah, And this one is much more socially aware. So the environment is a big one, as we've all seen, with the cost of living, energy, all of those sorts of things. Yeah. You know, it, anything that you can do to show that you are a caring, respectable employer, that you respect them, you respect other people, is likely going to kind of stand in your stead to attract the best candidates to you. The next one is more of a boring legal point. So we're still feeling the after effects of Brexit. There is going to be this what is called a sunset of retained European Union law. So yeah. since we actually had Brexit, we've been surviving on a kind of inherited EU law that is British law, but that's going to change this year. So we are completely in the dark about what is going to remain, what is going to leave. It's kind of like Brexit all over again, but you know, things like unfair dismissal, transfer of undertakings, which is probably better known as 2P, yeah. working time regulations, 
all of those things that you and I have known as just a given are all potentially up for grabs. They might be going. From a personal perspective, there was a suggestion in Parliament recently that the review of all of these laws and what will be going, what will be staying, would hopefully be extended to 2026. But unfortunately, that was declined. So we're going to have 2023. We're going to see a lot of laws, not just in employment law, but across the board, either staying or going. And yeah. all I can really say about that is keep an eye on the news because the the thing with all of that is we can potentially feel in the first instance that, well, hey, all of this regulation is going out the door. But actually a lot of that regulation contributes to an employer's workplace culture. Sure. So people worried about being dismissed if suddenly unfair dismissal rights went out the door, then you'd probably have a very unhappy workforce thinking I could be dismissed for any reason at any time whatsoever. Yeah. And thinking about it in that context, I mean, well, nobody likes to be on the knife edge. So it's, I think the point that I'm trying to make really is that it's a very uncertain time. It is, going to be i think equally as uncertain as the furlough situation as brexit itself it's going to be our next major challenge so it's worth keeping an eye out for yeah and i just listening to you there i've got sort of visions of you know businesses large and small you know with their their in-house either you know if they've got a legal team or you know certainly the hr communities within within businesses you know must be having potential nightmares at the moment because it's not just the changes is it It, it's because there's a whole whatever the changes are whether companies like them or not whether employees like them or not there's that whole communication piece you know there's there's um you know potentially employee handbooks that need changing there's there's you know you've got to get all this information out it's got to be digestible for your your workforce people have got to understand what it is and what the impacts are to them so that you know that that's going to suck up a whole load of resource isn't it for for businesses whereas you know if if just for example brexit hadn't have happened if we hadn't needed to go through this period of change you know laws don't get changed that often in, in certainly in terms of employment law may, may, not major ones anyway and a lot of businesses will probably be thinking crikey you know how are we going to how are we going to cope with all of this you know we're stretched as it is we haven't got a, a, a great deal of additional budget to bring additional people in. So it is going to have a bit of a burden on, on organizations, isn't it? And like you say, from a from an individual perspective, there, you know, there could be people working in businesses that are going to be a little bit um, you know, fearful about their future because they you know, processes and, and, and rules might change. So really important point. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. Thank so you. How talking about UK manufacturing specifically, how, in your opinion, could UK manufacturers work more proactively to, to avoid legal non-compliance? I know that's quite a wide quite a wide topic there, but you know, what 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 are your thoughts on that in terms of them being a little bit more proactive rather than uh, you know reacting to things when it's too late? Of course. I think one of the best pieces of advice for any employer, but manufacturers, it works equally well for them, is 
start from the foundation don't run before you can walk so the thing that i'm going to reference in particular are contracts of employment and staff handbooks yeah they are often seen as a complete nightmare you have to do them you have to give them to people by day one or before of them actually starting work and let's just get it done get it out of our head but the thing with contracts of employment and staff handbooks is that when they are drafted properly they can really reflect your business they can cut some of those awkward situations in the bud and answer the questions that people just ask day by day of course you're bound to find people who will ask a question whether it's written down or not yeah. but people are very intelligent creatures if they think that it's covered in their staff handbook if it's in their contract of employment they will read that and the process that you set down can actually help you to guide them to reduce the number of problems in your workplace on a day-by-day -day basis, yeah. save you management time, save you money, and get everything working like a well-oiled machine. So it's well worth investing in those from the very beginning. Yeah. And and that sort of ties in with with something you said earlier around the, you know, the whole um hiring and staff retention piece. You know, the if if you've got um, you know, most companies will, will have a set of values, uh, mission statement and, and all the rest of it. But, you know, the I think the employee handbooks and, and contracts that I see them. Yes, it's a it's, it's a it's a legal thing. You have to have them. But looking at it from a slightly different perspective, the, the, these these documents could also be be seen as a it's, it's a great marketing tool for the culture of the business as you say um because a lot of companies will struggle to to get in the right sort of talent but you know trying to become an employer of choice if if you've got really good values and you know you're living and breathing them throughout the organization it's been driven from the you know the top of the the top of the board right through to the uh, the team members on the shop floor these documents are you know, it's written evidence about your your procedures, about benefits, about, you know, that there's, it's not, a lot of people see them as a, make sure you don't do this, otherwise this might happen. You know, that they are seen a little bit of a sort of um, policeman or sort of um, uh, deterrent to stepping outside of the, the guidelines, but it's not really like, it, it, you know, at the end of the day, working for an organization, it is a part, it, it's a relationship between, two parties and and to have that written down documented clearly um but it, it does it does give that i i think it gives a, a very a very clear representation of the company's values and if there are really you know really interesting uh benefits you know people should be shouting about them a lot more you know a lot of people get a job and they you know they look at their contracts if, if they're happy they sign it and then they start the business and I, if I was a betting man, I'd probably say 90% of people would not ever look at their contract again unless they've got a problem or they're looking to leave or, and check their, what the notice period is. <laughs> How many people revert back to their employee handbook um, more than once a year, if at all, uh, uh, you know, after they've done a quick scan, when they get their 
um, onboarding pack through through the post, you know. So they're really important documents and it, they're good to refer back to, aren't they, from time to time? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have questions, just silly little questions come in from employers all the time, particularly their senior managers saying things like we've received a grievance. What do we do? Mm. And the truth is the answer is in the staff handbook. <laughs> but if they've never read it, if they never know where it's being stored, then naturally they're calling me rather than just following the process that's set out in black and white for them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk for for a minute about the, the, the as I call it, the collaboration between HR and people like yourself, employment law solicitors. I mean, HR and, and, and employment law specialists, you know, really, they, they should be the best of friends. Um, but that's not always the case. Um, what, what, why, why do you think that is? What, what, what are the sort of challenges around that sort of dynamic and around that relationship? That's an interesting one. I think it's it's to do with our skill set. And I think I should lead in by saying that there are a number of employment law solicitors who have switched sides, if you like, to human resources. I myself did it very briefly. Yeah. And even though it was such a holistic, such a, I wouldn't say therapeutic, a, a learning experience, Yeah. it was kind of like I had taken my skills and I put them into somebody else's head. And I pulled those back with me because I wanted to retain my qualification as an employment law solicitor, who wouldn't after all of that hard work. And I found that I brought my human resources head with me. So I think one of the struggles is HR, whether they are in-house or external, yeah. They want very practical advice and they want to give very practical advice. And they and their clients always want it to be that beautiful buzzword, commercial. Now, who can say what commercial is really? Yeah, I think it's probably money saving, but I might be wrong. The thing with lawyers is that we are very process driven. And if you don't tick a box, we can become very concerned that you will fall foul of problems in an employment tribunal. Okay. But I think my greatest advice to employment law solicitors and HR people who are listening is if you get an opportunity to stand in the other's shoes, even if it's just shadowing them for a day or building those vital connections, mm. having that opportunity to see something from somebody else's perspective is so yeah. invaluable because for me i've found since then my advice has been far less rigid it's more fluid because you can bend the rules without uh, breaking them yeah but it's it's just knowing how far you can test a point before you have to say this far and no further yeah because uh, I, I suppose there's a you, you've got your specific skill set, H, HR have got theirs. There is that sort of middle ground. There's a little bit of overlap in there. And like, like you say, you know, if some people have had a little bit of previous experience in, in both camps, then that's that's a that's a win-win for everybody, isn't it? But the that, that sort of middle ground where 
you know, uh, good HR professionals would have a, you know, a, a good a good basic understanding of employment law. They have to. And, uh, you know, if there was anybody in a business, I guess, that would be more inclined to to focus on their own professional development and keep on top of, you know, changes in legislation, a- HR are going to be all over that. Um, but I, I suppose you do get that that situation where, you know, where do you draw the line? Where where does a where does an HR professional uh, make that decision as to? I, I sort of know what's the best, but um, I don't know. I, I mean, would I don't know because I don't work in HR. But you know, I, I suppose you're going to get individuals that are very very risk adverse, and they would always pick up the phone or drop an email even if they're 1% uncertain on something, then you get others that sort of assess it, do a, do a, a quick risk assessment in their own mind and think, yeah, I think, I think we're okay. It would be, it would be remiss of me to say, you know, the smaller businesses may be at more risk of, of going in the wrong direction in, in that scenario, because they don't generally have big teams. They probably, you know, a lot of small businesses certainly don't have a legal uh, legal counsel, legal teams and all the rest of it. So, you know, the onus is on, you know, the HR manager or HR director to to be absolutely clear as to what their knowledge and capability is at that time for that certain topic and, and knowing when to reach out to people like you, you know, the sake of an email, the sake of a phone call or, or a meeting, you know, it could actually save hundreds, thousands, millions of pounds. It's an interesting dynamic. I'd love to be a, a, a not necessarily a fly on the wall, but I'd love to. I'd love to walk in HR shoes for a day. I think um, on on things like this, because I think everybody should be a little bit more uh, aware of of the ramifications of you know the laws that we that we have to abide by in in business, really. So, yeah, yeah. as well as supporting businesses and organisations themselves, I know you also help individual employees um what types of of challenges do you know do you support employees with i mean are there are there typical um scenarios that that pop up more often than others i mean what 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 do you normally hit with uh from from week to week on the employee side sure the thing with employees is something has usually gone wrong or there's an effort to avoid something going wrong yeah. And what I mean by that is settlement agreements. So that is essentially where an employer has offered a member of staff an agreement to waive any kind of claims that they might have. It might also result in their employment ending. Yeah. But a key part of that is that that person has to come and see a person like me for advice for it all to be legal. Yeah. And so we sit down, we have a chat about everything that's happened and the implications of it, and also any kind of compensation that might be related to that. And then we get it signed off. We ask for amendments if we need them before we sign. But mm. typically I'd say any amendments are quite minor. So that's pretty much the big one with employees. The second one that I see often is tribunal claims. Right, okay. I do do tribunal claims, but they're not my passion area. My passion area is actually building a situation up. So 
say that an employee has a disciplinary or a grievance and they are trying to proceed through that process in the best possible way. I see so many mistakes being made by both sides, admittedly, during that process. Mm. And to simply be there sooner to help the employee out, to say, okay, they're doing this, let's take this step to protect you, to put you in a stronger position in a tribunal, is part of what I like doing. Because it means that if there's a tribunal claim, that person is then not sat in front of a judge who is telling them, you didn't do X, Y, and Z. So I am going to knock ABC off of your compensation. Similarly, by becoming involved in a situation far sooner, we can avoid the tribunal altogether if the other side will negotiate over that settlement. And then it just saves so much time, stress, and money for everyone involved, especially the employee. So get in, get in early if you've got a if you've got any um, challenges or 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 queries or uh, you know inclination that that it's going to go anything's going to go legal is get get some advice early doors and, and make sure that you you know you you've got all bases covered really and I like I like what you said about the you know it, it does it does save time it does save resource. I, I suppose there's also the psychological impact of, you know, people don't really, does anybody really want to end up in court in a tribunal? You know, what effect does that have on the business? You know, uh, they could get bad press from it. It affects morale in the, in the boardroom and in leadership teams, the employee, you know, could be going through, you, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't been through an employment um, tribunal, you know, myself, but you know, the, 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 the stress that an individual would go through through that process in, in court, uh, you know, could have a real, even if they end up staying with the business, um, that might have a real damaging effect on their, their mental health, their outlook, their, their morale. Um, it's probably best that everybody get, gets things sorted out where they can. It's not always possible, but, you know, sorted out early. And as you say, you know, the, the, the bottom line is it saves money. You know, that's not the most important thing, but in, in the environment that we're all living in at the moment, um, you know, businesses certainly don't want to be putting themselves at risk. A a, a court case could wipe out the profits completely of a small business. Um, and again, the you know, the negative um, impacts in the wider business community, In you know, if you've got a, an organisation who's part of a group, you've got other... Um, uh, companies within a group they're not, they're wondering what's going on over at their sister company it's all bad you know it's just really negative so you know rather than taking that view of oh crikey we've got to might have to speak to an employment law solicitor how much is that going to cost crikey you know and that must be that must be what goes through people's minds it would me because you know any any type of professional service like that solicitors accountancy any anything like that uh you have a specific set of skills and you're worth your weight in gold, but it, it, you know, for the individuals and the businesses, yes, they get value out of that, but it's still, you know, it, it's a cost that could be avoided. I think it's the most important thing. I imagine that it is probably seen as akin to going to see a dentist, but <laughs> we try and remove the jagged things going into your mouth. Um, 
where we can. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh, I had a flashback of uh, Marathon Man then with uh, with Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> Is it safe? Is it yeah. safe? That's right. It, and if you're not sure, speak to an employment solicitor. Okay, so um, so you you've advised across different sectors, um, Richard. But but from a manufacturing and engineering perspective. What has what's been your most challenging or, or rewarding mandate today? Is there something specific you, you could share with us without sort of breaking any confidentiality agreements? Sure, of course. I'll keep it quite vague, but still try to explain it. Okay, thank so, you. So a few years ago, I was working with a packaging company in North Hampshire, and they had not had their contracts reviewed in quite some time. Mm. They had 20 plus employees who were going to be affected by contractual changes. And their focus, understandably, was on purely getting the contract in place. Okay. The advice, and I'm going to reference P&O ferries and everything that happened there, was that because they had more than 20 employees who were going to be affected by this, they had to consult with those employees. Yeah. And... I can understand it for a business owner. It must be crushing to think all I've got to do is get this contract in place and I can roll it out to my staff to then be told that you have to elect representatives or get a trade union in yeah. and discuss it all with them. I can understand that. The flip side to it, and I was very fortunate because the business owner was very self-aware. Mm. He was not one of those people who tried to look on Google and pull loads of different clauses together to get this, this contract that probably looked like a cake that had exploded. Um, he was very self-aware. He knew he couldn't do it by himself and he wanted something that really reflected the interests of the business and how it worked. So he wanted to get everything done appropriately. It wasn't particularly what he wanted to hear this advice, but I think the, really important thing was he understood that by getting this process done properly he mm. had in his pocket what i would call the cinderella moment so you've got that part at the end of cinderella whether it's the book or disney or whatever where the glass slipper has smashed and the i forget who he is the duke or whatever is in complete hysterics and then Cinderella just pulls this other glass slipper out of her pocket and says, but I've got the other slipper, yeah. which proves that she was the woman who went with Prince Charming or whoever to the ball. It's very similar to that kind of situation, which is why I call it the Cinderella moments, yeah. where if you've negotiated a contract or at least consulted over a contract with your staff, and then at some point in the future, somebody says, well, I didn't agree to that. Mm. You then have this brilliant situation where you can prove not only with the written contract, but with proof of the consultation yeah. that everything was done and that they agreed to it. So that probably explains why I call it the Cinderella moment, but it also explains why it's a massive benefit to business owners as well. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's important and it, it protects both parties, doesn't it? It's, you know, I, I suppose some employees would, would, um, would feel that, you know, a lot of the laws and, and regulations, they're there to protect the, the employers. 
Um, mm. But, you know, getting getting great advice, great legal advice, getting contracts sorted out properly between the two parties, it's for, for everybody's benefit. You know, circumstances can dictate opinion on who might be benefiting most from a, a set of rules or or actions that have that have gone on and then it all goes into dispute or what have you but you know to get them sorted out properly it's in everybody's best interest isn't it yeah and you've also picked up on a very interesting point where employees think that employment law benefits employers employers think that employment law benefits employees so yeah. we've touched on it before it's one of the fascinating things with employment law is that perspective. And once you actually start to dive further into the other side's perspective, you not only get a better understanding of them and what they're going through, but if things do get very argumentative, you can then dip into that understanding to think, hmm, what would I do next? Okay, yeah. this is what I have to plan for. So it's... It's brilliant. There's so much psychology in employment law. Absolutely. So from your, your experience of working with, with both employers and employees, and I suppose often you, you've got to unpick complex and, and you know, sensitive, highly sensitive events after, after they've happened. Are, are businesses providing enough training, do you think, for their, their staff, managers and leaders? I, I don't mean training on 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 legal stuff but you know um you can get disputes over anything in a, in a business but how much of a risk is the um the scenario where you know that there's there's a bit of gray area in some part of training or it might even be on an induction it might be on i don't know a health and safety or a fire um fire safety exercise or training or something you know all of these things need to be absolutely nailed down don't they do you think they're do you think employees are are provided and i suppose they are in the main otherwise we'd be hearing about all this sort of thing every day in the news but are businesses providing enough from what you're seeing uh in your in your legal work are they are they providing enough training for their staff their managers and then the leaders because you know quite often in organizations something will go on you'll have um uh, a set of a set of circumstances you'll have uh the 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 party who's done whatever it is that the, that the business don't agree with the manager of that person or persons will have their view and either know or not know how to go about dealing with that but then the leaders or the directors the owner of the business might have a totally different view of that they might have different um you know, they might have a different approach to how they deal with it. Um, and it's not just about training people in their job and the company procedures. It's a, I think it's really important that leaders are also trained and, and coached in how to deal with certain scenarios. And, and HR, you know, are, the, are a vital link in this, you know, and, and obviously external coaches and mentors. Um, but it, is, is there a, do you see a bit of a disconnect from the cases that you deal with in terms of, you know, our companies leaving themselves a little bit open in how they deal with stuff? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think in terms of training, it's one of those things that is often seen as once and done. Um, yeah. Actually, it makes me think a bit of uh, 
not with any kind of um, stigma attached. It makes me think a bit of George Lazen being on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Okay. You do it once, and then you don't come back to it at all. Whereas training is an ongoing exercise. Mm. Your business is kind of like, how shall I say? It's like an infant growing to a child, growing to a teenager, growing to an adult. It's constantly evolving. Yeah. And so what happens in the business, how it's communicated will evolve alongside that. And if you're not telling people, if you're cutting them out of the loop, whether they are in senior leadership or a manager lower down the scale or a member of staff below that, if they don't know what's going on, they are going to feel that disconnect. They are going to feel, well, to, to give an example, somebody does something that they do every day and then suddenly it changes but they haven't been told so they are not going to feel very happy if they're then told you're not meant to be doing that if they've never been told that before Mm. so i think one of the things to combat that is when it comes to dealing with those kinds of situations to have a kind of self-awareness training for business owners senior leadership for them to, let's say, just cool things down when things become aggravated. Yeah. So one of the examples that I see very often, being a lawyer and the fact that we rely so much on written evidence, is you will see an email where things have gone from being okay to very incendiary. Mm. And often, yes, it can be an employee who starts that off, or it can be a senior leader. Whoever starts it off, it can be very helpful for a senior leader or a business owner to be able to see that email that is, let's just say, slagging them off. Yeah. And to respond in a very self-aware way, because an employment tribunal will look at that and think, okay, this person is just being a nuisance. They're not seeing how they are impacting this situation. Whereas this senior leader stroke business owner is responding in a very reasonable manner. It's clear who the problem is here. Yeah. So, and that does affect anything like compensation, whether you've done anything wrong or you've done everything right. So it's well worth investing in that because it saves money in the long run and it makes a happier workplace because even if you do have somebody who's pushing your buttons, you have the safety net of being able to go to your senior leadership team and say, this is happening. Do you think I'm doing the right thing? Yeah. And that that, that brings me on to, uh, I, I mean, you know, I, I bang on about culture all the time, but, you know, emotional intelligence, uh, you know, if, if the entire workforce and leadership all add impeccable emotional intelligence, uh, probably you, you, would, <laughs> you wouldn't be doing the, the work that you do. Um, but it's it's so important for leaders to to have that self awareness um, and and emotional intelligence, empathy um, are are skills that you know uh, you know a lot of a lot of people say oh uh, you know they're, they're soft skills you know we're more interested in profits we're more interested in acquisitions or you know gaining more market share uh, you know the moment you start neglecting your employees by not listening by 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 not having that empathy 
it just it can open up a whole can of worms um and uh, I, you know I, I love what you said about you know it's 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 mitigating uh risks of things blowing out of proportion isn't it you know and you get a snotty email do you react to it straight away you know i, I suppose a good leader wouldn't react to it for a while they'd probably you know blow off steam offline and and take a measured approach to it um I think we've all had some sort of experience of that, either on one end of that or the other. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a really, a really good point. For it can be very beneficial. I find it myself actually. If I receive that kind of email, I draft the response that I want to send. Then yeah. I stop. I go and get something to drink. I come back to it, and often I'm sat here laughing at the response that I want to send <laughs> because I've just completely cooled down and I just. Yes. I put it in a much more reasonable way. Yeah. No. Absolutely. It, it's. Uh, I think you, you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good process to go through, isn't it? You, you have to. You have to get the information. You have to really do that brain dump of how you're feeling at the time, um, because sometimes if if you don't if you don't do that immediately, obviously don't press send. But if, if you don't mm, do yeah. that, sometimes the the email that you do end up sending might be missing out on something that is actually quite key. What are your plans for the rest of this year then, Richard? Yeah, sure. So um, I work with two firms. Uh, one is called Satford Solicitors. The other is Woodstock Legal Services in Poole. Okay. In Dorset. And myself and Woodstock over the course of oh, probably the last six months have been developing a collaborative package, if you like, where we can work alongside HR professionals not to put them in their place it is very much a collaboration yeah where they can come to us as and when they need to get advice and documents to help them on their way and it, it is really exciting because we're already before formally launching it bringing people on board who on both sides we know like and trust so it's reciprocal yes. and it's amazing. It is that collaboration between HR and employment law that you speak about. So that's the big plan. And mm. other than that, it's very much about getting out, educating and, you know, for, for both sides, whether it's an employer or an employee, avoiding the tribunal by doing the sensible things first. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's so much uh, good work to be done. Um prevention is is uh better than the cure i think so that you know, go back to that word you used i love it it's collaboration I, I love collaboration myself so it's all about uh you know taking a taking a proactive approach knowing who the right people are to talk to and building relationships so well richard it's been a, a pleasure to to understand a little bit more about the the legal world in terms of employment today thank you very much for for coming on the show um we, we will have a another chat in, in due course no doubt because we have some some shared uh interests in terms of film and things like that that you're pretty well known for on linkedin so just moving on to to that where can people find out more about you of course um well if you look for me as either richard hiron or the hironator um which is my uh I guess my nom de plume, if you like. <laughs> so that's, uh, you can basically find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and on Instagram. Okay. And 
all of those sources, you will find stuff about what I've been watching and also employment law and hopefully how the two of them are actually quite interesting topics that interrelate. Absolutely. And that and that's how you and I first came into contact was through, you know, your your posts uh around um uh movies uh linked in with with employment law. It, it caught my eye and you know I've been following you ever since. So uh okay well thanks again for your your insights today. It's been a, a, a great chat. Um that wraps up today's episode. I, I hope you've enjoyed our discussion. I'm sure the audience will as well. Thanks to Richard Hyron, the Hyronator. Thank you for listening and look out for the next episode of Insights for Manufacturing. See you next time and bye-bye.